All right, H-Town, because I can't say Houston in the correct way. Sorry, I just I can't. I don't have an H on Houston. I don't know what my problem is. It's very Trump-like. It's, nor- it's Northeast people. Uh, Kevin Kruger is the uh, voice you hear snickering in the background. Uh, he joins us here in H-Town on Westwood One uh, Radio Row. Uh, what is this week like for you? Uh, you know, um, your dad came here forever. You know, we were just talking to coaches earlier. A lot of hobnobbing. It's kind of an important week to be around the other coaches, right? No, it is. A lot of things happen. A lot of meetings. Uh, head coaches meetings. Um, uh, the coaches versus cancer uh, group is here. Um, and then, of course, there's you know other other projects and, and things you work on with people throughout the year that um, that, that this just kinda is the most common place to meet and it makes the most sense. So. And then uh, on top of it, you get to see a lot of people that you enjoy being around. So it's, it's a good few days. Does that include me? We haven't seen each other for uh, <laughs> since you got pie smashed in your face. <laughs> yeah. You've had a few weeks off from me. That's, that's got to be nice. No, no, you've, you've always yeah. been pretty good to us. Yeah, pretty good. <laughs> but, uh, come on now. Come on now. Kevin Kruger's with us. Um, yeah, you know, the funny thing is we used to we'd come down here and you know, you'd have a couple weeks after the season. And we would talk to Dave Rice as an example. And it was like, oh, okay. Woo. Time to breathe. Oh. But nope, not anymore. Not like anymore. literally in five years, seven years, it, it doesn't stop. I don't know when to stop. I guess it's going to stop in a couple of months. Yeah, I mean, it's completely flipped on its head, really. Uh, you know, it used to be the fall was just, you know, just guns blazing. And you're either on the road recruiting or you had kids in on visits. And the fall was just nonstop, uh, you know, 24 hours a day for, for a stretch. And it still is to an extent. Um, but I think uh, uh, what we're starting to see now with the transfer portal is it, uh, how much harder it is for high school seniors to get scholarship offers and, and, and juniors to be seen um, because so much emphasis is being put on the spring. So, yeah, for the spring now, it's, it's full go from the day the season ends of, uh, or the day the portal starts until, uh, until the portal closes. Do you like it? Or is it driving you nuts? You're still a young guy. So I'm assuming there are a lot of older coaches who are like, my God, this is absurd. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, if you talk to the, most of the older guys, they're going to say this is ridiculous and this is not the way it was. It should be, but uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I do fancy myself as a young guy. Thank you for that. But, uh, <laughs> so do I, and I'm much older. I, I'm, I, I try to stay young. I sound bitter, but I try to stay young. I don't really know any other way other than what I grew up in. Right. Um, so even though I grew up in it, I wasn't the one putting in the hours like my dad was, uh, you know, in the recruiting world and. And so I, I, I do think the portal's got a lot of advantages. I, I really do. I think it's, it, it is one of the things where I think it's actually good for coaches. Um, it, the way the game is now and the way the NCAA is, and, and, and I want to be very clear, is the way it should be, where the student-athletes are the ones who the most time and attention and the most thought uh, goes into trying to make their experience as great as possible. Um, don't always bat a 1,000 on that one, but... At the same time, I still think the, the group of people at the NCAA are still trying to make the experience as good and, and, and fun and, and, and as happy as they can make the players. But uh, I do think the portal, um, while a lot of things need to be cleaned up, um, and, and I think we need a lot more solidarity and a lot more firm um, things to be put in place um, as it relates to the portal and NIL and how those two things go hand in hand. Um, but I, I do think it's a, it's a great thing. Um, for the game because I do think we're going to start seeing uh, less and less transfers. I really do. I think the pendulum's going to swing, swing back the other way. Um, now that NIL is, is starting to you know, have a couple years under its belt, I think there's going to be less and less kids jumping without a parachute, uh, which is what we've seen since the portal started. Kevin Kruger's with us opening the show here in Houston, running Rebels coach. Um, shouldn't things also normalize a little bit with the COVID year gone 
soon? Oh, absolutely. Right. I mean, I mean, that's, that's changing everything too, with it, with guys having a fifth or sixth year. Oh, is that, that's that's been a uh, I guess an annoyance in terms of is the best word to use, and just in terms of finding out who has what left. You know, because some schools would would report the kid as a senior. Some reported him with two years left as a junior. Some reported him as a grad, which made it very clear they right. had nothing. Le- they had right, no right. years left. So you would all you always had to do, do just a little more digging and a little more um, internet search to kind of figure out well what do they have left. Well, uh, you know Isaiah Cottrell is a perfect example for the running rebels. You know he has his COVID year, but he also had an injury. So does you know how's the NCAA going to see that? Does he get two? You know does does that COVID year and injury year go hand in hand? Right. Or do, are they the same thing? Or does the COVID year use, can be used differently since right. he was injured? I mean, there's just a lot of questions that still surround that COVID year with a lot of things that happen. Yeah, I talked to Isaiah middle of the season, and I think he believed that he had three years left. Exactly, exactly, and uh, and and he should. I mean, I guess you know, COVID year wasn't a lot of fun for many people, and uh, it was especially not fun for him being being hurt on top of it. So, how are you doing? You know, after two years, uh, you know, this year was a little uneven, great start. The middle was a little bit tough. I thought you guys closed out pretty well. How, how are you doing in terms of enthusiasm for the gig and dealing with the challenges of not only, you know, the, the portal and, and what we just talked about with NIL, but just, you know, trying to trying to get to that next level with the program? Well, I think, uh, yeah, I think I'm about as, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing. I think we talked last year, even at this time, of how much I felt I had learned in year one uh, based on what, from day one and then kind of in the same spot. But, uh, but also feel a lot better. Uh, I think we're better off than we were 365 days ago and the 365 days before that. Um, I know that the middle of the part of the season didn't go exactly how everybody wanted. We hit some, we hit some tough times, and, uh, but the guys kept competing. They, you know, they fought through being asked to do different things that they weren't expected to do because we had to do certain things with Isaiah out, with Eli out, with Lou, Lou missed some games. So, you know, we had to, we had to ask them to do different things. And, but still finish competing and playing like crazy. You know, overtime loss to Boise. You know, overtime win at Reno. Overtime win versus Air Force. So, guys still battle like crazy. But I, I still think we're in a great situation where with our core group coming back to where if we add a couple of great pieces out of the portal uh, that we, we, we feel like we can take that next step. So, there's a lot of stories. And this is the way life works. There's a lot of stories around the portal and when guys go into the portal. And, I, you know, I want to give you the chance to talk about because, you know, listeners and, and fans of the program look and they're like, oh, you know, guys are leaving. And it shouldn't be that shocking because it seems like most programs now on average are losing like four and five guys. But between the Keyshawns and then Vic, who mm-hmm. I know you're a really big fan of Vic, and Dave Milwaukee, who I think is a really impressive kid, uh, how do you feel about them moving on? Because I think a lot of times these things get framed as, oh, you know, UNLV's losing players. Um, you know, there are times when players want to move on. It's just, you know, the, whatever. It's the end of the road. They want to try something else. It, exactly that. You know, you've got David and, and Vic, uh, both with, you know, they've been in college for four years. Um, it kind of just came down to just adding options. Um, but I think uh, because of the, the people that are in the UNLV basketball program right now, and I think of the relationship that's been developed, uh, nobody left on bad terms. You know, there's no, there's nobody that... Uh, or at least they shouldn't. It shouldn't be. It wouldn't it be surprising if, uh, you know, they were dog cussing us on the way out because I think we we, we did right by everybody that's decided to go in the portal. But yeah, it's uh, it, you know, there's a lot of uh, you know, anxiety in terms of or, or antsy. You know, I think is a better way to put it. Not anxiety as a coaching staff because you're like, all right, well, you know, we got guys in the portal. We got we got to figure something. And I can only imagine what it is on the fan side because it's like, well, we're just losing people. Like, what are we gonna do? Like, well. You know, that's like you said, 
350. I would be shocked if the 350-plus college teams didn't have somebody in the portal across the board. I would be shocked if every team did not have someone in. And so other, other, other than reporting a guy leaving, there's not really a lot of, right. uh, of, of things that can be said right now that are, are, are you know, uh, an example of why we're going to do really well next year. But as visits start taking place and as, but you know, you gotta, you gotta have spots that are, that are open before guys can come in and right. take them. Kevin Kruger's with us. And you guys can't speak on the record about who you're targeting in the portal. I mean, you know, I, I saw uh, Dennis Gates was here earlier from Missouri and the Kansas City guys are like, yeah, you know, uh, the big kid, the 7-5 kid, uh, Jamarian, uh, you get him, you get him. And he's just like, I, I can't say. <laughs> yeah. No, we're not allowed to comment on recruiting, which, uh, you know, it, it's, I think that's smart by the NCAA of, of, of not allowing us to, to comment on recruiting. But it's also... You know, like uh, like you you've mentioned in the past, if we if we put out every name that we've talked to and discussed and, and talked about being at UNLV, well, at the end of the day, we're only going to add three or four, uh, you know, or five in this year's in this situation. So we're gonna we're gonna bat about you know one out of, one out of every ten, one out of every one out of every eight. So uh, there, there's not a lot of situations where it would look uh, look overwhelmingly great. Yeah, I never understood why schools would like say in a coaching search would want names out there. Because if there's a list, I mean, it, it happened to the football program. There were there were ridiculous names reported, and then it looked like Barry Odom's a really good hire. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how much you talked to him, but I, I'm, I'm impressed. I like what I've seen out of football practice. He's a good hire. And people were like, you know, what about Ed Orgeron? Like he was never in the mix. He even the, the guy even said like no one called me. It's just it's it's weird the way you know we, because we want information instantly and everything now is up on social media so i'm ranting I don't no know. <laughs> but, but you're right i mean yeah. we no, not only do we want the information but we want it to happen instantly and uh and but yeah i think uh, coach odom i've been able to talk to him a bunch of times he's he's been awesome um so i, I think yeah i think uh Harp did a good job i think he got a good football coach seemed to have a or seemed to have a good football coach got a great guy and uh uh, but but yeah, when when names get floated out there, it's no different than recruiting. You know, it's like yep. well well we well if we added, you know, Larry Johnson, we'd be pretty good. You know, no kidding. But everybody's <laughs> trying to add Larry Johnson, so uh, you know, it's not it's not necessarily that simple. So building the team, I'm I'm thinking you're sticking with the same plan, right? Um, and it doesn't mean you and I talked a lot about double bigs and and you know bigs and smalls, mm-hmm. and and I think your your style, you you can correct me, is going to be you know you want to be closer to that five switching deal, and you want to have multiple bigs who can play on the perimeter i mean the the dream is uh having a guy like nathan mensa who is just that that's absurd what he can do on the floor where you have a 611 guy who can go out and they they're not afraid to have a 5-9 guard switch on to mensa no i mean it mince is uh it's one of those things when when we were playing san diego state we would tell the guys over and over and over like this is not a mismatch you know, we we said it over and over and over again. Like say, they, they will switch him on to you late. They'll switch him on to you early in a ball screen. It doesn't mean you just go attack and shoot it because he's as good guarding the ball as anybody you're going to see, especially at his size. And uh, but yeah, I think uh, you know our style. I, I think we've gotten closer and closer. We've gotten you know we we got more size from year two than we had in year one. Um, and I think we're going to continue to recruit, uh, you know, size and skill as best we can. But yeah, we'd we'd love to be bigger. You know, we'd love to be more physical. And uh, and those are some of the things that we're really going to target in the portal. So you got to get uh, probably someone to lead the team at, at lead guard, and then you know, same deal, kind of build up that front court. Um, and I would assume someone, you know, with the big someone with a stretch element as well. Yeah, you know, perfect world, of course. You know, we we definitely want to bring in a, a, a ball handler, a guy that's a. Uh, 
you know, got some experience under his belt, decision making and uh, some leadership. And but then, yeah, of course, any, anybody that can, you know, not only protect the rim, stretch the floor. I think uh, that's just going to go at such a premium here as the, as our game kind of seems to be seems to be trending. Uh, you know, toward in a lot of aspects toward the kind of the NBA game of, of spreading everything out. And you mentioned Coach Gates and what they do at Missouri with Kobe Brown at the five, able to able to t- to make a lot of good things happen from that quote unquote five spot. But uh, yeah, I think the de- the defensive versatility we had this year, we still finished as a top sixty defense in Kimpom, top thirty in HDI, which eliminates all the kind of the garbage time. Um, I-, I-, I thought defensively we took a, a huge step forward. Kevin Kruger's with us here in Houston. Uh, he's here for NABC. He's hard at work. And, yeah, I'll, I'll also I mentioned hard at work. I got a comment from someone yesterday. Like, it seems like UNLV's not doing anything. Like, they're working. Yeah. Trust me. There's a lot of work that goes behind the scenes, and we've already talked a lot about the portal. But, um, you know, clearly you guys need players. You're working. Well, yeah. Right? We, we just uh, – It's quiet. Know, it's quiet, but, you know, I think you're – Unfortunately for for Rebel fans, you don't have a staff that's going to stop and make sure that the entire city knows what we're doing every waking second of the day. You're not going to tweet it out. (laughs) No, we're not going to tweet it out, and we're not going to try to pat ourselves on the back too much until the job is done. But, uh, yeah, we're we're entering a dead period right now. And uh, But uh, we've we've got a a handful of people in Vegas can – you know, I understand the, the the concern and the the excitement for wanting to get things going, but they they can know going to sleep tonight that we we've got some visits that are getting set up. So when the dead period ends next week, we're we're going to get some guys on campus and uh, and add to that rebel roster. And I know you're separate technically from NIL, but you feel like you you have the support of people you need support from. I do. We are separate from NIL, and we don't uh, you know. Uh, get too involved in that but uh no i think uh the, the city and the community have always been great to run in rebel players and i think uh, that uh we're in a good spot going forward i'm a fan at heart you're probably going to walk me off the ledge here um I, I don't have an easy time rooting for teams in the conference right i like to see you do well i always say hey i'm not a fan of unlv i, I work around the program I'm actually a fan of as you know Rutgers, where i went to school but San Diego State coming here and potentially achieving in the in the Final Four, well, for as long as they're in the Mountain West Conference, is good for the conference, and the, the funding is really good for the conference. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it you know it's always hard to root for a team in a conference at the when it gets down to kind of toward uh, you know crunch time, if you will, because I think it, it, you're always so used to rooting against them when they play your team, but there's also that element of like, well, wow, they're really good, <laughs> you know, that kind of creeps into your mind as well, which also plays a factor in. You know, you want to see them be more normal. You want to see them more, be more beatable. I think is a, as much as anything. But you know, two years now, four teams in the tournament. I mean, the Mountain West is as underviewed. I don't think we're underappreciated because we've gotten four teams in for two right. years in a row. And uh, so the only the only group of people being the selection kit committee that matter, you know, have taken notice. You know, and, and sent four teams in, and. Uh, you know, this year was success with San Diego that San Diego State's had. I think the conference is just going to continue to get better. I mean, you know, the, 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 just the, the level of the players and I think the, the credentials of the coaches is just uh, has made it a, a premier conference in the country. Have you been watching games throughout the tournament, or have you had the time? Like, I'm, I'm curious what you think of UConn because uh, Dan Hurley is a guy who's you know an emerging coach like you comes from a coaching pedigree and man, watching. You know, I was out there at T-Mobile for those games and. I thought Gonzaga was really good, and that game against UCLA was amazing. Mm-hmm. And then what UConn did to Gonzaga, you know, in the second half, and it wasn't just Timmy getting in foul trouble. I mean, they they 
they kind of broke them, which can happen in games. Games go the wrong way, but man, that's a good team. They, yeah, I mean, we we could potentially. I, I, well, I was talking with a buddy the other day of uh, UConn hasn't necessarily gotten the uh, kind of the top billing, if you will, in terms of coverage. You know, if you just watch the tournament, and I and I've watched to answer your first question, I've watched it casually. I, you know, buddies especially, you know, people that I grew up knowing. Um, I, I definitely tried to watch their games, but uh, you know, basketball is always on in our house. It's just kind of, I guess, it's just the way it is. But uh, I, I mean, we're, we're if UConn continues to do what they're that they've done in the first four games here, I mean, we could be on the, we could be looking back at this and saying UConn fans could be saying that well, that was one of the most boring tournaments we've ever that there's ever been. But I just don't think UConn necessarily got the coverage. You know, they they weren't put at the front of the. Uh, front of the line uh, in terms of what you were seeing from day one uh, of the tournament, but I, they are really good. <laughs> I mean, just dominant, and it just it just seems like one of those machines that's just that's just rolling right now. And you know, I I do think that they're fit to you, know, you got to guard Miami. You know, I mean, their their guards make plays, they make shots, they make tough shots, and uh, and, and UConn's built built for that but then on the other side they do such a good job of moving the ball and sharing it and just seeming to know where everybody's going to be at that uh that they're really hard to guard and you can watch teams struggle guarding them um i'll bring up a positive about the transfer portal the mobility you know you will say you, you move down in the case of harkless and that's no insult to unlv and you become i think the best scorer in the mountain west conference and you guys faced san diego last year and calcaterra mm-hmm. and he did not have a great game and then i'm, I'm looking i'm watching the game i'm like San Diego kid is out there, you know, doing the three sign and oh, celebrating yeah. because he just fits at UConn. That the ability to go up or go to a whatever program that can advance like that. How cool is that for the kid? Well, it's it's great, and you really got to give a, a, a big thumbs up to the UConn staff, you know, because even when, like you said, when we played him, uh, he wasn't healthy. I do remember that because he is known for being a shooter, a dead eye shooter, and uh, it, it, but even. You know, and, and I'll and I'll pay one compliment to San Diego State here in, in this in this one. But uh, you know, the the guys at UConn, the guys at San Diego State, the guys at my—I mean—they all know what they need to do to win games as a team, and they do it. And and when you look at teams that are successful, not just in the tournament, but even you know, you can say what you want about Purdue—they won the Big Ten by two, three, three games. I mean, they won it with two weeks left in the season. You know, you, you got guys that know how to win games and know what they need to do to win games, and that's what you're seeing. They don't care who the leading scorer is. They don't. They don't care who the leading rebounder is. They, they go do what they need to do to win games. And I think uh, this is a Final Four where, you know, you're, you're we're really going to see. Even though, like, comparing it to last year, four blue bloods versus this year with three first-time teams. I think uh, this year, you know, I'm I'm intrigued to see just, uh, you know, I just I think we're more likely to see just you know three team sharing the ball you know somebody might be a different sto- uh, leading scorer in each game but we're not necessarily going to see a, you know like i said no mcdonald's all americans you know there's no somebody might go get a bunch of points but they don't necessarily have the same burst or or ability to go get 40 like like last year's tournament did with a couple guys uh, across the board who could well i appreciate your time um i want to point out it's very important every once in a while around college basketball we need to take a deep breath and chill on this front because there's very important stuff that is coming up and that is coaches versus cancer in mm-hmm. vegas you know your dad started this whole thing and the tournament's gonna be right there and i think the uh, may 14th 15th 16th yep. range uh brad underwood's gonna be on the show later on he was just named the coach of the year 
for uh, Coaches versus Cancer. It's it's a tremendous event, and there, there's so many cool events around the country, but this is like, the big event. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you talk about everybody needs to, it's a great opportunity for coaches and everybody to kind of just take a step back and get things put in perspective pretty quick. Uh, a lot of c- cancer survivors um, that that are in everybody's life, but also in the in the college basketball world, it, you know, isn't immune to it. So you know, like especially just uh, you know the McCaffrey family, you know, thinking about. Uh, you know, thinking about putting yourself in their shoes, as, and as a as the son of a coach, you know, growing up in that world, and and just imagining how much added, you know, obstacles were, were put in their way in terms of, of their daily life and their routine, and what they've they've fought through as a family is a. Uh, it's just a great event that just kind of brings your awareness back to it. Helps kind of, like you said, kind of ground everybody and you know get everybody back to zero. Good job. We appreciate it. Coming up later on the show, we are going to talk to Steve Fisher. We are going to talk to Brad Underwood, and we'll see who else stops by. We have all the coaches here in Houston. Big show's on the way here at the Final Four. 777 gets you two hot dogs, two bags of chips, and a 22-ounce Bud, Bud Light, or Michelob Ultra Draft on Golden Knights game days at the Silver 7s Hotel and Casino. Thanks to Paul Pata for having us out here and also Subaru of Las Vegas. Robbie Hummel sits down. Robbie is a uh, broadcaster. He's made the transition beautifully. I think you do a great job. He played at Purdue. We're going to break down this Final Four, but uh, when I'm here, I just like talking about topics around college basketball, and you and I were chatting a little bit about the wagering part of this now and the embracing of gambling maybe not so much with the NCAA but the embracing of Vegas and sure. I gotta tell you I've been there since 96 and man we were a pariah for yeah. a long time it is amazing the transition that has happened well now you're, you're hosting regionals you've got a final four coming in and I remember playing in an event at the Orleans Hotel and Casino my freshman year which would have been Christmas of 2007 and we were told basically when we get into the resort we were staying at the Rio, which was off the strip, and we were told, get through the casino, don't look at the tables, don't look at the sports books, just get through there, yeah. and don't go down there. You know, We can go to dinner at some of the restaurants, but we're not going to be on the casino floor at all. Right. And not that the players should be hanging out there now, but it's become, you know, I did the main event two years ago, and in a week span, we had the main event, which was over at, is it T-Mobile? Is it T-Mobile? Yep. Yeah, over at T-Mobile. Yep. So we had great games with that. You had the Maui Invitational that had moved into to Vegas because of COVID and the Hawaii issues with, with going to the islands. So that was there. You had Gonzaga UCLA. You had Gonzaga Duke. That was on a week span. And that was like college sports had just totally taken over. And I was amazed at, at what yeah. was going on in not just the T-Mobile arena, but also at the, the, the Raiders Stadium across the street. You had like a Golden Knights game on Thursday. We had our games on Friday. You had another hockey game on Saturday, and then we played on Sunday, and across the street there was an NFL game going on Sunday. It's like sports had just taken over Las Vegas. It's amazing because there was all these concerns, but now it's become so mainstream with the betting and the gambling on on pro sports and even on college sports that this is – look, Las Vegas is equipped to handle high-level events. It has the hotel space. It has the convention space. It has meeting rooms in every hotel that they've got, and you've got great venues, whether that's MGM or that's T-Mobile. You know, you even got Orleans. I mean, not that Orleans is a, is a bad place to play. It's not 
maybe as world class as the others that are there, but you've got plenty of stadiums, hotels, and restaurants to take on all that stuff. And we've got like 14 venues now, you know, going all the way up to the Raiders with 65,000 that hold at least 5,000. Yeah. Some are performing theaters. You can play a basketball game there if you want. Totally. Uh, we have another one on the way with the MSG Sphere. That you, thing looks I mean, that's crazy. Insane, right? And they, they are they going to play sports in there? They say they're not. I think they can do boxing there. Oh yeah, you know, I okay. think they can do fights. It's there. more video games, right? They can host the some of the. You know, I hadn't even thought of that because I'm so out of that realm. But yeah, the way the place I is I think designed, a lot of it is for the and, and, and concerts too. Concerts. They, um, yeah. I think U2 is opening it. That's sweet. Right before. By the way, we have F1 coming. Oh no! I saw so, that. I so saw that. That that's you. The tickets for those are nuts. I'm sure they're going to have to. Actually, one of the routes I drive every day to get to UNLV. Is is part of the track? Really? And You're I'm like, testing oh, it out. I'm like, no, you, you can't. It's all backed up because they're working <laughs> oh, on it. Oh, true, believe me, it's going to be pretty soon. They're going to close it down because they're going to smooth it out. Yeah. I'm like, my car will never be on that thing. But I'm that's like, oh true. my god, if this was smooth, it would be awesome. So let let's go back in history because we were just talking about that. You know that gambling stigma. And here's the thing, uh, guys. Even now, don't go near the sports book. You know, you know, you don't want to mess with that. First of all, the sports books are heavily managed. Sure. They're going to know who you are. And especially if, if guys Playing start getting... the cameras getting, and the facial yeah. I mean, those and, casinos and, aren't messing around. And if guys start getting froggy, you know, if someone wanted to put a ton of money down, that's all track. You, right. You, I, I actually, I worked in sports books for like four years uh, in the middle of my radio career. And like, you come in and you want to bet more than $3,000? Manager, like, who are you? Yeah, yeah, right, they want to know right. who... Because they want to know if you're betting 3000 or more... That you're going to come back, so you can lose your money if you win. Seriously, that's where it is. Where it is. And people yeah, they, don't, they want you to come back. They want I, you to come back. I didn't watch the documentary. I should watch it on Arizona State. It's good. And Stephen Smith and that whole thing. I was actually in school up until like right before uh, you know that whole thing happened. Um, and Vegas played a big part in catching them. Yeah, because they were tracking, and he was having to go from casino to casino. Yep. To and make that amount, all these of books bets. know each other too. All the book directors right. know each other. Hey, and you, that would never happen go- today. Today, no. they, they'd have too much. Yeah. That would get flagged immediately. But it is. It's an interesting story. It's a sad story because I don't think that the NCAA at the time was giving the student athletes enough of a benefit to be able to turn that type of money down. And those those guys, yes, they're on scholarship. Their school is paid for, but. When you're talking about living expenses outside your scholarship check or even having money to go do fun things or some extra spending money, those guys didn't have it. So when they got that little carrot dangled in front of their face of, of 20000 you know, it just it's sad to see that they were willing to do that. And look, as a player, fixing a game is the, the ultimate wrong you can commit. Mm-hmm. That, that It's not okay in any situation. But it is sad that they felt like this is something that I should do because I don't have the resources otherwise to, to live my life. Robbie Hummel played at Purdue. He's a big-time broadcaster doing the game for Big Ten Network and ESPN and also Westwood One. All right. What do you tell people who want to bash Purdue for the, for the, <laughs> for the performances in the tournament yeah. where they're, you know, they're losing to 10s and 11s and 12 and a, and a 16? I mean, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, I'd like to explain it by just saying, hey, there's, there's a lot of coin flip spots. These games are very close. But sure. You know, fans don't want to hear that. No, they don't. They don't want to hear that. And it is, I think, concerning even at, at the level of for Matt Painter that they have lost to a 14, 15, and 16 in their last three NCAA tournament appearances with North Texas, St. Peter's, and now Farley Dickinson. And I'm sure there's a lot of looking in the mirror and seeing what needs to be done differently. But at the end of the day, you know, if you ask Purdue fans at the start of the season, you lose Jay Nivey, you lose Travion Williams, you lose guys to the NBA – and you would say, hey, do you want to sign up for a Big Ten title by three games, and do you want to sign up for the Big Ten tournament championship? These guys would, would have taken it in a heartbeat. But, 
expectations get ramped up, and they, they looked so tight when they weren't making shots. Now, at the same time, the, the game plan by Tobin Anderson was to let these guys shoot wide-open shots, triple and quadruple Team Zach Eady, and that roster is built to make shots. Those guys are shooters, in theory. Yeah. But in the game... For whatever reason, you know, the turnovers hurt them, and then just going what they did from three, I think it was 5 of 27 on shots that you would shoot in a horse game. That's, But where else do you go? Because it's not like those guys are brought in there to get to the rim. And that's probably where Matt Painter says, all right, maybe we need a few less shooters and a couple guys that really defend and get to the basket. And that's going to be something that I'm sure he'll look at. Um, but at the end of the day, your coach is there to put you in position yeah. to make wide-open shots, and you are getting wide-open shots. We talked to uh, Tobin Anderson earlier from FDU, and, and he even said, um, you know, our game plan worked. He's like, but if we play him 100 times, we might win two. Yeah. And, and people, again, people don't want to hear that. So here's what I got, you, uh, got for you on the Big Ten, because I'm sure you, you, you wind up defending the Big Ten a lot. Sure. And I, I told you I watch a lot of Big Ten basketball. I think the league, while it's really tough, competitive, deep, I think the league has to make some adjustments, but it's about who's going to make the first adjustment because ultimately you want to win games in conference. So right. it's risky to go what I what I think the Big Ten needs to do and what a lot of teams are doing now, which is a lot of times you play lineups with one big and we'll call them four smalls. Sure. And the big's got to be able to defend on the perimeter. Right. That's important. And that's but look at, look at who we've got with Edie and Dickinson and Cliff Amore, and, and those are traditional big guys. Amore's more equipped yeah. to guard on the perimeter than the other two. But, yeah, I think style I think, of play. I think one big, four smalls, but everyone is so stuck well, in. Look at, look at how Indiana played this year. Yep. Trace Jackson Davis and Ray Thompson. That's like 90s Knicks. Yep. <laughs> yeah. you got like Anthony I mean, Mason just, yeah, out there. Just grind out, bang. Three. But then when you get, you get into the tournament, there's a lot of you know, one big, four smalls who can yeah. shoot, and all of a sudden you're like, wait, we don't play the style of basketball. No. No, so who's going to do it in the Big Ten to take the first couple of steps? I mean, Penn State kind of did it this year, yeah. and they they had Texas on the ropes. You know, they they almost beat Texas in that first round or second round game in uh, in Des Moines. That's a good question. Micah Shrewsbury is out of the league. He built that team to the portal. I don't know who will take that step, but I do think that it is a problem. I think stylistically it's tough. But on the flip side of that, you know, for Purdue, you're going against the smallest team in college basketball. <laughs> I understand that it's going to be hard to guard them, but it doesn't excuse the fact that they're they're living on the offensive glass and we're not imposing our will physically on a smaller team, much like North Carolina did to St. Peter's last year after St. Peter's beat Purdue. That, that's, right. that's a major question that I, I don't have an answer for. Who do you like in this Final Four? I think Connecticut, but I really like Miami as well in the sense that I, I saw them in Kansas City last weekend doing the games with Kevin Kugler. I love their guard play. Um, I think they're dynamic, but I do think that Connecticut's playing the best basketball of anybody here at the Final Four right now. Yeah, I saw them at the Sweet 16. That was impressive, impressive. in Vegas. Yeah. Because uh, I Gonzaga's really good. Yes, they and are. And, man, they... I'll use, I'll use this wrong. And yeah, Arkansas gonna, is talented too. I, I was going to say they, they, they emasculated and they kind of they kind of broke them. Yeah. Um, and I, I think Gonzaga had a little trouble coming back down from the win. Agreed. Against UCLA and you know those those situations are tough. What about San Diego State? We uh, we cover them a lot in the Mountain West yeah. Conference. It's infuriating for UNLV fans because uh, man, they're they're a dominant team. They're kind of what UNLV was as sure. a mid major now at this level. Yeah, and I think defensively is what stands out when you watch them. How physical they are. Matt Bradley has got to play better. The fact that they are here in the last three games he's averaged six points a game and shooting 22 percent right. from the field is is pretty remarkable and also a testament to their other guys 
I think, stepping up. Um, but defense is where they, they really hang their hat. Darren Trammell has been phenomenal. The, the, the job he did against Alabama to make those plays into the game, made the free throw against Creighton. Lamont Butler was terrific against Creighton. But their length and their physicality defensively is what really stands out. And they're going to need it because Florida Atlantic can really play on the offensive end. They move it. They're fun to watch. They shoot a bunch of threes, and they play fast. Robbie Hummels will we'll close on this. I've asked all the coaches we've had on and you know some former players too about the portal yeah, yeah. and NIL. Uh, it's a big deal. I mean, sure. you played. What do you think? I'm glad the players are getting paid. I think it's about time because I've seen the figures of money that the NCAA makes on the NCAA tournament. But I do think that the fact that it's like the Wild West in terms of recruiting with NIL is not what the intent of the rules were. But the toothpaste is out of the tube, and I don't know how you put it back in. Um, so that's just going to be a part of it going forward. I hope the NCAA can find a way to maybe regulate it a little bit more. Um, but I am all for the players making money. I think they should make money off their name, image, and likeness. Why can you not hold a camp? Why can you not have a car deal? What? Who actually cares? Um, the portal... I don't love that you can transfer multiple times. I think that there is something to be said about sticking through some adversity and, and staying through some hard times. Right. Um, but I think that with that, we're seeing, like you said earlier, it's just everybody's on the one-year deal, and I don't think we're going to see a whole lot of players that stick around for four and five seasons. I will say this, and you know, people need to remember it. You go to school to get the playing experience. You know, The 1% make the pros. You know, yeah. Some other players get to play internationally, but in the end, you're going to need a job. Totally. And you're going to need connections. Yeah, and that's important. I, I, I'm not a parent, but I've always thought from a parent standpoint, when my kid's being recruited, you need to tell me who my son is going to meet. Well, yeah, and the alumni my base, connections? That's, that's well, a huge part of well, it. Well, how do you do that if you're at three schools? You don't. You don't get to what know. What kind of loyalty are those alums going to show? Like, hey, you left, bro. Yeah. It, it, you have to hope that the last place you were at. <laughs> right? <laughs> that's good right? alumni. Well, and then here's the other cool – I keep saying last one. The other crazy thing about the portal now is – We've got guys leaving, you know, for that third stop because they're clearly talking to people and they're getting offers of money. There's a thousand players in the portal right now. I had a coach earlier today tell me, you know, you realize the NIL contracts actually end for the players for a lot of them in a couple of weeks. Wow. Yeah. So what does that mean? Are we going to get like another 800 players in the portal, you know, in two weeks? <laughs> Maybe. I mean, it's, like how, it'll K be chaos. Caleb Love is leaving North Carolina. I know. It's mind-blowing because you'd think he'd never leave. <laughs> think about his year last year. Yes. I mean, this time last year, he was on top of the world. You're a Tar Heels for life. He, he's a legend in North Carolina lore, and now he's in the portal. <laughs> well, good deal. I appreciate a couple minutes. And like no I said, you, you, great job, man. Thank and, you and, very much. You know, I want to point one more thing out. Uh, you're very objective. Oh, Don't thanks. listen to all these clowns. Because I, I I, I'll it. go through the Big Ten Twitter, and I'm like, He's not siding for Purdue. He's calling it down the middle. But the funny thing is the Purdue fans think that I'm I'm siding too much to the other teams. <laughs> you can't win either way. Well, that means you're doing your job. There I guess is. that's true. Robbie Hummel, we'll come back here. Final Four uh, presented by Subaru of Las Vegas and Finley Subaru. Get 77-cent bottles of Bud, Bud Light, and Michelob Ultra on Golden Knights game days at the Silver Sevens Hotel and Casino. Yeah, don't forget tonight... SG Bar. Willie from Cofield and Company is going to be over there starting at uh, 6 o'clock. 6 to 8, 7.30. VGK is on the road with the puck drop against the Sharks. Chance, the Vegas Vivas, will be hanging out with Willie. He'll have tickets at 8 o'clock. He'll be giving those away for the uh, Kings in town against the Knights. And like I said, uh, Chance, the mascot, is going to be out there. ton of pitcher specials, also uh, food specials. Uh, they're big on the Reuben at the SG Bar. It's at Flamingo and 215. Flamingo and 215. So check out Willie uh, coming up here in about 
two hours. Actually, the whole thing actually starts around 5 o'clock, but Willie's going to be there from 6 to 8. Uh, our coverage at the Final Four is also brought to you by Warner, the official ladder of uh, NCAA March Madness and the official ladder of construction professionals everywhere. There's an autograph ladder across the way. All the uh, people who have been in Radio Row all day long are signing that, so that's a good collectible. I'd like to pick that one up down the road. Probably not available to someone on my budget, but uh, Reach New Heights with Warner, available uh, locally at Fasteners, Inc. So to set up the night in Vegas tonight, uh, yeah, as I mentioned, Willie's got his viewing party going down at SG Bar. Uh, Sharks and Golden Knights will go at 7.30 our time. Sharks are a dog at plus 158. The total in that game is 6.5. I have not had a chance to see what the hell is going on in baseball, so I'm going to get you updated on baseball here in a second. And then coming up in a little bit, we're going to talk to uh, Kenny Blakeney. And if you're asking who, he was actually part of those Duke teams from 91 to 95. And I want to talk to him about the crossover with the UNLV squads, the Larry Johnson and Greg Anthony UNLV squads, because Blakeney came in the year after the big upset in the 91 tournament where the Rebels fell 79-77 to and were denied back-to-back. And probably the official nod is the all-time greatest team in the history of college basketball. Meanwhile, Duke went on to win a second straight. So I was wondering what... You know, guys like Hurley and then a guy like Blakeney and some of the, the greats on that group, uh, like Grant Hill and Leitner, think when they hear about the greatest teams in the history of basketball, and they're not one of the first teams mentioned. So he's coming up in about five minutes, ten minutes. Uh, we'll also talk to Brad Underwood, who's a big uh, friend of the program from Coaches versus Cancer, and then Steve Fisher's on a little later on. Uh, Adam Hill is going to be here tomorrow. Adam is covering uh, the NIT as they're doing the first year of uh, rotating around to different sites out of MSG. They're at the Orleans over uh, on the uh, just on the, the west side of town. I'm blanking on which side of town I live on, right? On the west side of town. But UAB and North Texas are going at it. And one of the storylines there is that one's a two-and-a-half-point spread is Grant McCaslin, the coach in North Texas, is probably moving on after the game. Boy, North Texas has turned into a pretty good athletic program. Football program is very solid. And uh, now their basketball program is achieving at a high level, and Grant McCaslin is expected to take the Texas Tech job. But uh, that game's going down uh, tonight at 6.30 with the title game. Uh, bouncing around baseball today, some finals that are in Tampa. The Rays are strong, man. Uh, they wound up shutting out the Tigers. That was 4 nothing. as uh, Tampa's got this cornucopia of pitching with their staff and super deep, and even their best pitcher is not back yet um, because he's not completely healthy. But a rising star... Uh, McClanahan went out there and pitched six scoreless on opening day, which is unheard of in this era. He had six strikeouts and was super efficient in that one. Uh, our buddies next to us, WHB, well, bummer today, Minnesota at Kansas City. WHB is a Kansas City station. Uh, Minnesota winds up winning 2 nothing, just uh, two runs in the sixth. And nice pitching performance in that one as uh, Lopez went out. Good addition. Moving over from the Marlins, he went out and threw five shutout innings with eight strikeouts so as i said we're loaded with uh, great spots we're going to talk to r he's very fired up i actually did not know who bun b is he's a rapper from houston but i had a great conversation with him and r he was all fired up earlier he's like bun b all right four o'clock hours on the way